If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. We live in a world where pleasure and pain are constantly at odds. For many of us, trying to find the balance between these two extremes can be difficult, leading to unhealthy habits like binge eating, drug abuse, or out-of-control eating. The quest for pleasure and avoidance of pain may have us neglecting our own physical and emotional well-being. But what if we could design a world where we can thrive from within, even during pain? The pain may not go away as fast as you want, but telling yourself a new story will allow you to build your faith and get back up. Sometimes your capacity might shrink for a while, but it's okay to put a pause, but you have to pick yourself up to continue living. Don't allow pain to cripple or steal you from your future. Tell it where to go. Turn it into purpose and change your life. Pain takes time to heal but it gets easier when you focus on shifting your pain into purpose. Finding your purpose is the answer to overcoming your pain. In this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness, Clint Hatton shares with me how he was able to get into a place of comfort after losing his son in a plane crash to choose life and leverage his pain to help others thrive. Learn how to be bold and brave, give your pain a purpose and operate from a place of gratitude. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. All right, athletes, now before we begin, some super exciting updates to share with you. The HitDex app comes out on iOS in the App Store this month. Workouts are always varied, they're fun, they're challenging, they're modifiable to your level and will help you get results in under 20 minutes. And just a quick reminder that when you review and rate this podcast on iTunes, take the screenshot and send it over to Sherry at SherryShaban.com. You win a $500 voucher to Transformation in Paradise, where you'll join me in Costa Rica this November for a full week of transformation, brand new habit setting that'll help you transform and shape your life as soon as you come back, helping you implement all of these habits that create lasting results. All right, athletes, cannot wait to see you there. Now let's get into it. Hi, Clint. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. I'm so excited to be with you today. So happy we're speaking today. And I really love your story. And and I think your story is a powerful one. And it's definitely super important that we share your message with the world because you're helping people really understand that pain could be something that we can use to create leverage in a positive way. And I think most of us actually spend our entire life trying to avoid pain. And I work with athletes who are overcoming binge eating patterns or out of control eating. And oftentimes the reason for that is because we are actually trying to avoid that pain. And so Clint, first of all, welcome to the show. I am so happy you're here. Thank you. All right. So tell me a little bit about your story. Maybe share with the audience how you got into the space today. You are speaking to people, you're coaching people and helping them get into that space of comfort around their pain. How did you get into that? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always had a desire to help people. It really goes back even to the time I I was very young, I would say even into my early teenage years. Now, the the only scary thing about that was, you know, I didn't have a lot of wisdom back then. And and I actually had a pretty rough period of time from my 
late teens up until probably close to 30 years old where, you know, I, I had a lot of drug abuse. I even had about a nine year stretch of doing meth. Now I was a, you know, a, a professional salesperson during those years. So I didn't look like the person you typically think of when you hear that, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, I had a lot of drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And so, you know, there was a lot of that that went on. And even though I had this huge desire to help people, you know, I just, I, I wasn't positioned with the wisdom. I, my life wasn't really that healthy. And so, you know, it was always there, but just didn't really know what to do with it. And then around 31 years old, started getting my life straight, you know, and, and, just completely quit drug drugs, cold turkey. And that's been almost 30 years ago now and began to just develop myself. You know, to me, that's one thing about being a personal development coach or what you're doing. You know, you got to lead by example. Like if I, if I go to a gym and there's a trainer who is not in shape, I just immediately think you're probably not who I want to you know talk to. So I really felt like I needed to develop myself. So I spent a lot of years doing that. And so then eventually I got into, uh, I was a pastor for almost 17 years so I did a lot within that because when people hear pastor, there's so many different forms of what that can look like. Um, so not all of them are necessarily coaching or mentoring or speaking. They can have different roles. For me, that's what it was. I coached teams and developed people and, and did a lot of those things and just loved it. But a few years ago, uh, our lives got completely turned upside down and it put me on this new journey of wanting to expand who I could help and the type of people that I could reach that have experienced a lot of pain and loss. And that all evolves around the story. I have three boys. I've been married almost 20 years. Uh, I like to say deliriously happily married because my my bride is my best friend. So we've had, you know, really ups and downs like everybody, but really a pretty good life. But my oldest son, his name was Gabriel, and he, at a very young age, got the bug. He uh, flew at about eight years old with his uncle Danny in a little plane, loved it, just got the bug to want to be a pilot. And then fast forward, by the time he was 16, he actually soloed for the first time before he even had a driver's license, which was, which was crazy. And then here in the United States, 17 is the youngest you can actually earn your private pilot's license. And he accomplished that. And so he was well on his way. He was living the dream on his way, taking other courses to become a commercial pilot at 21, because that's the earliest you can do that. And so life was good. And we were watching him just chase his dreams like every parent you know, wants to see. And then on September 23rd of 2019, he had just dropped off a friend. Uh, he took her on a trip back to her school, which was the University of Arkansas. I'm in Dallas, Texas. So that's just a little north of us. And on the return trip, about 20 minutes in, he ran into some unexpected weather and he suffered from what the NTSB would rule later as spatial disorientation, which basically means you lose your horizon. You think you're going up, you're going down. You think you're right side up, you're, you're upside down. Kobe Bryant, most people are familiar with his story and the helicopter crash. Same exact thing that his pilot suffered from. And he lost his life pursuing his dream. So thank you. And it, um, you know, it's exactly what anybody would imagine. It was a devastating blow. Changed our life forever. And of course, with that came just an enormous amount of pain and, you know, all those things that go with it. So pain, confusion, really for the first year, even though you consciously know it's real, you know, you're still getting used to the whole calendar year and milestones and birthdays and, you know, different things that just constantly remind you how real it is, right? But I think, Sherry, the reason why I'm here with you today and why I'm doing what I'm doing is I feel like I had a foundation 
that some people just unfortunately don't have. And I'm just very grateful for that when it happened, because I had already worked with so many people over the years who had had a similar kind of loss. And unfortunately, many just don't know how to process through the pain. You know, just like I'm sure you get a lot of clients, the minute it starts to hurt, they're gone, right? Because they don't know how to push past that. And so, you know, I, I realized that morning, and this is what I told my boy, I had to tell my two younger boys who were nine and 13 at the time, I had to tell them what happened and how we were going to walk this out. And that was just simply, I said, listen, there's two ways that we can live this out and deal with our pain. We can choose to focus on just the tragedy side of it, just the death and how he died and the fact that we're you know never going to see him again and all those things we're going to miss. Uh, and if we do that, we're going to be a, a shadow of who we were created to be. And it's in our pain is going to dictate our life rather than us telling the pain where to go. And so what we're going to do is we're going to choose life. And what that meant to me, Sherry, was I said, you know, Gabriel, I, obviously I told you about his accomplishment of becoming a pilot, which, you know, tells you a little bit about him, but he was super energetic, Mr. Adventure. You know, if I create a t-shirt for him with a phrase that everybody loves those nowadays, it would be what's next. You know, he just, he was that kind of a kid and he was really smart. So he, you can see some guitars behind me. He actually taught himself to play guitar. He was an amazing photographer. He graduated a year early from high school. He was taking college courses along with all this other stuff. I mean, if he set his mind to something, it was over with, you know, he was going to do it. And so I told the boys, you know, if we're going to honor him, we're going to have pain. <laughs> the pain is never going to go away. That's not even a good goal. Pain's there because we love him. He's our son and, or, or brother. But, you know, if we're going to live for him, then we need to choose to attack life the way he did. And so that's the decision that we made that morning, along with just agreeing together that we were going to grieve this as a family and that we would let each other cry if we needed to cry. If one was mad, we'd let them be mad. And if that meant cussing up a storm or whatever, whatever form it took, that that was all okay. And we did those two things together and it really laid a pretty solid foundation for us. Not perfectly, you know, we have not walked this out perfectly and we've had our ups and downs, but it, it's guided us to where we are today and ultimately led me to step out and, and write the book and do some of the things I'm doing now. Wow. You are, you are amazing. You are a beautiful light. And I just want to hold space for you mm. for just a moment. And as you were talking, all I could think about was in life, it's, it's a story where we're essentially living a story and the greater the villain, the mm. greater the hero of the story. And I truly believe that things happen for us. And clearly you do too. You're in this space where you're here to share the message with the world. And you're embracing right. this, this pain and teaching people that sitting through this pain, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to cry, allowing yourself to connect with the true emotion that's there and not try to suppress it is right. the only way that we can lovingly guide ourselves through that pain. And so you're absolutely incredible for sharing this message. And, and I have so much that I want to unpack here and especially just rewinding a little bit in the beginning of your story where you were an addict and... Mm. I just yeah. wanted to understand that that part of your life, why you turned to drugs during that mm. time of your life. And yeah. was there something that you were trying to avoid? Because 
as I was listening to you go through this massive trauma, and I, I know how, how painful it is to lose somebody you love. I lost my mom a few years ago, and I could only imagine what that would feel like to lose my own child. I also have two girls. And so as you were sharing the story, I was wondering how you chose to face the pain with the history that you had in the past, mm-hmm. as opposed to turning to something else that could help you numb it. And so maybe we can rewind a little bit and, and yeah. maybe you share a little bit of that, of that part of your life. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, so, you know, I feel in general, I had a pretty normal childhood. Uh, I grew up in sunny Southern California. You know, I was an athlete, played football, played baseball. You know, generally speaking, I feel like I had a pretty good life. But around 11 or 12, there was a pretty traumatic series of incidents that happened that definitely shaped how I ended up into drug and alcohol abuse. My parents had been married 25 years at that point. They had me pretty late. So even at 11, they'd already been married over 25 years. And my dad ended up having an affair. He ended up moving out. It got really, really ugly. You know, they had gotten married at 18 and 16. My mom was mm-hmm. 16. You know, they came from a different generation, obviously, uh, out of the Korean War. And so they were married very young. And uh, my mom, you know, that's all she knew. I mean, she had a, she had a career, but that's all she knew relationship-wise. And, and she didn't respond well. You know, she started drinking really heavy, ended up suffering from suicide ideation. And tried to take her life a few times. And a couple of those times, one involving a high speed, uh, we were in a, in a car, she had drank too much and she was going to take us both out. I mean, she wasn't in her right mind. And we spun at about 60 miles an hour and just fortunately didn't hit anything and survived. And then another time with a handgun that she was going to take her life. And, you know, it was so, so really traumatic, right? And so, Eventually, about two years later, they would reconcile. They ended up being married for 65 years. Our relationship ended very well in my adult years. And both my parents actually passed away about eight years ago now. But but it did send me, you know, on a track of drug and alcohol abuse. And I would say that if not for athletics, mm-hmm. because I played through I played through junior college football until my second year when I had my second catastrophic knee injury, which was another form of trauma, but you know, it was the one thing that kept me kind of on track, but I think that's why once I knew my career with football and I hoped to go on to a four-year university and continue to play and go to school, uh, that was all gone. Then I went into sales and that's when things got, you know, pretty dark for a pretty long period of time. I did meth for nine years and, you know, I, again, I was a professional, so only people that I partied with really even knew it, but I knew it. And so, you know, I didn't have the right coping mechanism, Sherry. And, and you know, I, I can't say um, that there was any one moment for sure, but I remember I was about 30 years old and it was the last time I, I also had a failed marriage during that time. I don't think I mentioned that. We were just both a complete train wreck. I was a terrible husband, you know, and I won't even get into her side of it because, you know, my, my, my part is my part to own. Right. But I was just, I was not a good husband. I was not healthy emotionally, you know, any of those things. And so, but one night we both did meth, you know, one more time. We hadn't done it in a while. And uh, I just woke up the next day, Sherry. And I don't know if you want to call it an awakening, an epiphany, whatever you want to call it. But I just, I didn't feel good. I didn't feel like I had the fun time that I used to think I did when I was on that stuff, you know? And I literally just woke up that morning and I'm like, this is not who I want to be. This is not how I want to live. I'm done. And I was, and that was it. And I quit. I didn't, you know, and I, and I have a ton of um, sensitivity to this issue because obviously I had a lot of friends during those years too. Many have chosen rehab and, and 
my point of view on that is just simply do whatever it takes. Right. You know, there's no shame in therapy or no shame in going to rehab or whatever. You know, you got to get over it. But for me, it was just I made what I like to call a courageous decision. And that was it, you know. And so I think that opened me up, you know, I, without having all of those <laughs> disgusting chemicals in my body. I think I began at that point to grow personally and really want more for myself. Mm which as you know, is so key, you know, people around you that love you can want the best for you. But if you don't want the best for you, you're always going to be limited, you know? So that's kind of how that all started, you know? And then for me, you know, I, I, um, I wasn't really a person of faith prior to that either. And when I was about 31 years old, in my case, I became a Christian. And, and for me, that was, you know, a really, it was a turning point. It was a point where I really felt like I started to have much healthier thought patterns and, you know, my love for people probably became a little more pure and just uh, positioned me, I felt like, to start living my dream and, and help people and actually have something of value to bring to the table. Right. Yeah. I think I think once we get to that place where we have that epiphany moment or that enlightenment, it's it's really the moment we choose life. We choose this excitement and joy around life and we actually want to live and we want to live out our purpose, whatever that means to anybody. And so yeah. it's, it's this feeling of, of wanting to live to the max amount that that kind of prevents us from continuing to numb ourselves from from these substances. And so, so inspiring, because that's definitely not a story that we commonly hear, especially with a substance like that. And so right. and coming coming back to to just learning how to cope with your emotions, I, I guess, during that period, up until the time that you lost your son, you must yeah. have started to, to develop other other ways to start to cope with your emotions. So could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I really do think, you know, I mean, losing Gabriel far and away, there's nothing else that's happened in my life to compare to it in terms of loss or trauma. But, you know, we had other things happen along the way that challenged us in smaller ways. So I felt like if, if I could say it this way, I probably never said it this way before, but not, not an immune system, but just began a pattern of being able to respond to situations. You know, um, it started with, you know, Gabriel... Um, Gabriel was born early. And then when we decided to have a second child, we had a miscarriage. And so, you know, that's, that's a devastating blow, you know, and, and there's probably a lot of your listeners who have suffered from that, if not even more than one time. And, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing. So back then, you know, again, our faith is, I'll just say this one time to kind of cover it all. Our faith has always been a factor in helping us with that and maintaining a posture of hope. But I think, you know, the practical sides of it was, is we just, we loved on each other. We, we talked about it. We didn't just bury how we were feeling about things when we lost, you know, the, the baby and the miscarriage. And then a couple of tough pregnancies when even my middle son was born, he actually made a full term. We're so excited. And then we, <laughs> she ends up in the delivery room and 12 hours later, just not budging past like a two or a three. Then the epidural wasn't working. So they're trying to give her a C-section, but she can still feel everything. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And ultimately she delivered him. They got it. They finally got the epidural to take. But then I'm in the room with, with Joel is his name. I'm in there. We cleaned him up and I'm with the nurse. And it's you know such a beautiful moment. This is so cool. And they grabbed me and pulled me back in to where they had her in, the, in a waiting room. And she wasn't waking up. She was having a hard time coming out of the anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that happened. And so, you know, we, she obviously ended up coming out of it and, and we were fine, but it was just another thing that we, you know, kind of had to, to process through. And, 
and stay true to our values and just talking things out and those things. And then ultimately, um, Liam, my youngest, was the the craziest of all. We lived in Washington State and he was born three months early. She ended up with full-blown help syndrome, which for your listeners, there's a couple of different pregnancy diseases that can make it really difficult where they got to take the baby early. Preeclampsia is one. And that's what she had when she had Gabriel. It skipped when we had Joel. But then when Liam came along, it went from preeclampsia to full-blown help syndrome, which basically means your, your major organs are starting to shut down and you're basically dying, really. And so they took him and he was one pound, 14 ounces, spent the next two and a half months in the hospital. This was during the H1N1 virus. So, you know, we're, we're still in the age of, you know, the COVID pandemic, right? Uh, not as intense as it was, but, you know, it's still there. And a lot of people don't remember the H1N1, but it was very similar in that we were the only two that could even see him during those two and a half months. His brothers could not. They would literally sit in the waiting room at times for hours, you know, and waiting to see their little brother. And so, you know, so we've we've been through some stuff. She 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 had a spiral fracture of her femur a few years after that, wakeboarding. So there's been some stuff, Sherry. <laughs> sounds sounds like it. I feel like you could also kind of keep going there, Clint. <laughs> I probably could if I thought hard enough. The funny thing is though, is you know, because I've been asked by people who have known us for, you know, 20 years plus years, and they're like, man, you guys have been through through so much. And I don't really even think about it that way until I take time to <laughs> rattle off a few stories or write it down. I'm like, well, maybe there's been a few things, but you know, I think just to to your point and you know how we were able to function when it came time to try and deal with this incredible tragedy with with Gabriel, all of those things definitely helped prepare us. I think more so as a family, just the fact that we we fought through different things as a family. And then, you know, of course, when he passed away, for anyone out there that's lost a loved one, like, you know, you did with your mom or a child or whatever, I don't want to downgrade that in any way to compare it with those other things. But it definitely gave us at least a base of how we talk things out, how we, you know, continue to just stay true to our values. And, and I think that ultimately has helped us kind of maintain a steady path over the last few years. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. So Clint, and, and you'll just mind my, my dog in just a moment because he's he's enjoying the conversation as well. So so how do you get back up? I mean, the majority of us, we, we have these traumas in our life and they're, I mean, let's face it, life shattering. And so yeah. how, do we, how do we rebuild that faith and that faith in life and that faith in, in living? And, and clearly you have to show up for, for your other sons as well. Right. What advice can you share with the audience that helped you overcome? Yeah, well, for me, to your point, that was a, a, you know, a very astute observation because that's something you can't forget. You know, we still had two sons. And, and a marriage, you know, that we didn't want to lose our marriage over this because we've seen it, you know. So certainly those were two massive motivating factors that not everybody listening is going to necessarily have that as part of it. But for us, it was. And so, you know, for me, especially as a dad, I knew that, you know, as much as much pain as I was in that, you know, Gabriel's story ended and we weren't going to get to see him do all the things that we really hoped and dreamed he would do. I still had two more sons that had their dreams. And have their life to live. And, you know, the way we walk this out, we're going to go a long way in how they walk out, not only the pain of losing their brother, but, you know, as years go on and they get punched in the face with different things as they're living life, you know. So having that as a focal point is definitely 
a pretty strong motivating factor for most people. Now, I recognize there are some that still do have family and it's just crushing and they have a hard time doing that. And, you know, I think the second thing I want to share with you is what they can do that you don't have to have the first thing. And that is, I found that giving your pain a purpose Mm. makes a huge difference. And what I mean by that is, you know, we we tell ourselves stories all the time about our life, right? We're the most powerful voice in our lives that we'll ever have. Right. And so a lot like what I talked about, you know, whether we're going to choose to focus on his death or focus on life. And you mentioned about focusing on life is that that was really part of that same mindset that, you know, listen, if if I can tell myself a new story, And that new story would be is I don't have to let this pain cripple me. I don't have to let this pain steal from my future. The pain may still be there, but if I can tell myself a new story and tell the pain where to go, then I can change my life. And so that's, you know, part of what happened for me, you know, it's been with Big Bull Brave, the personal development, obviously the book for my wife. She, she discovered she was an artist about a year or so before Gabriel passed away. So it was an amazing discovery. I mean, she's really good. She actually just recently was uh, qualified to come into a pretty large international art show here in Dallas that had artists from all over the world. So when I say it's not just my wife, she's really good too. But that was something that she laid down for a little bit, Sherry. She did. When, When Gabriel first passed, man, your capacity shrinks for a while, you know, for everybody, I think. And so she put it on the shelf for a little while, but then several months later, you know, she knew that she had to continue to express the fullness of herself. So she started painting again and it's just been incredible. You know, one, it brings great joy into this house. And then it's really been a blessing to so many people because her story, her, not her stories, but well, actually her stories too, because every painting has a specific name. It's got a real, you know, specific story about what she was feeling and what she was going through when she created it. So that was awesome. You know, for my son, Joel, who's now 18, it was playing football. For my uh, youngest son, Liam, who's 13, he's a black belt in martial arts and learning two different martial arts right now. So, you know, we, we had to individually choose, but collectively encourage each other to tell ourselves a different story, tell our pain where to go. And so that meant pursuing our dreams. And, you know, a lot of people... We hear about this kind of stuff, like you lose somebody to cancer and then you become one of the biggest cheerleaders for fundraising for that cancer, or you start a foundation. You know, there's a lot of things we could list. And I put a lot of those actually in the book because I really believe that telling your pain where to go and giving your pain a purpose is a path out for a lot of people. Yeah. And and it's so well said, by the way, Clint, and, and that was just absolutely beautiful and, and you know, really reminds me also of my experience when my mom passed as well. And, you know, the majority of of the choices that we make throughout the day is around avoiding pain and then seeking Mm -hmm. pleasure, right? And so we start to assign certain meanings to that pain. And definitely that that meaning oftentimes is dark. It's it's very painful and something that we want to constantly avoid. And what really comforted me throughout that process was this sudden understanding of exactly what life was. And this Mm -hmm. realization that she's gone now, 
but there's going to be a day where I'm also gone. And that made me in in many ways, very grateful for my life. First of all, very grateful for her because I was lucky to have this type of mom. I I had many friends that were calling their moms all kinds of names and I could never do that to my mom. So I felt so grateful that she, she got to be my mom. And then just realizing, well, how much time do I have left? Right. What are all the things that I right. still want to do in my life? And I real like life suddenly became even more important to me. I started becoming way more intentional with my time, intentional with the people that I spent time with, intentional with making sure that yep. everything that I did in my life had massive purpose to me. And the purpose was fulfillment. And the fulfillment was helping to impact one person, helping to create a transformation in one person's life. Didn't really matter what it was, but if I could make a difference in one person's life, then it was worth it. And just at that very moment, losing my mom, I, I, I was in the room actually when she passed. And I've never felt such an unbelievable energy of love ever in my life. The moment that I I, I actually felt and and saw her soul literally leave her body, I've never felt Mm. such love. It was it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And they they even say that that love is actually the true energy of the soul, right? And so I I, I felt that and I and I felt that there there was a part of her that that just got immediately absorbed into my tissues. And Mm. since then it's it's been this this mission to constantly be grateful for every little thing and to remember like every time i go to the the graveyard and i visit her i remember well this is where i'm going to end up like this is where i'm coming and it's the <laughs> that's right and I'm, I'm completely at peace with it but it's that that realization that life is is very finite. We don't know when that moment is and why waste it? If there's things that we want to do, why waste it? If I'm holding myself back because I'm worried about being judged, why waste that time? Like who cares what people think anyways, right? If there's something I want to do and I'm so worried about being an imposter because of imposter syndrome, that's a waste of time. It doesn't matter what other people think, right? So I I think it could definitely be, be rewritten and Unfortunately, death is, is a part of life and it's just something that we have to experience. I think it hurts to see our, our children go before us. But I think also, like you said, I just I love so much how you phrase that, that using using your your pain to actually actually almost leverage that that purpose that is actually actually already within you this whole time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> All we of that was so good. Well, yeah. you know, I don't even I don't need to restate any of that, but everything you just said has all been a part of it as well for us. You know, every single thing you said, you know, and man, it's just well, I think I'm gonna share this this because it, this could help someone. The one thing that I struggled with for probably about first two years before I started writing the book and really getting involved, you know, in the personal development space was I struggled with this idea that. I didn't want his loss to become our identity. In other words, I didn't want people to always think, oh, that poor family, that poor dad, that poor mom. And then I just remember one day, this is before I you know, launched all that stuff. I just, I just, and for me, I just felt like God was speaking to me that day. And, I, and it was, this is not your identity, but it is your story and your story matters. And so that's what I, that's what I hear you saying too, is like, you have so much life to live and you know, I, the, the power of gratitude too. That's another thing you were just talking about. Gratitude is a, is a force. I don't think it's a word or some pleasantry that we think of. I think it's an actual energy force. I really do. And I have some stories similar where gratitude just changed the atmosphere, you know, but everything you said, gosh, just so good. And just, you know, for all your listeners, man, your story matters. Your story is going to touch lives. So you can't give up. You can't quit. You can't live small. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you know what you were saying earlier about this, this gratitude, this practice of gratitude being a force, you can literally feel it. It is, it is an immediate sensation. The moment that I have, I wake up and I have all these things going on in my life and I just start to turn towards gratitude, which is very difficult, by the way, Clint. Some days it's really yeah. hard to do because oh, yeah. what can I be grateful for? Like this terrible thing is happening. Like how can I possibly be grateful? But then you start with the little things, right? And, and just as simple as being able to drink this glass of water that I have here on my desk. I started working with with an athlete who who actually has a hard time swallowing. It's it's very little mm. things that we don't realize is a gift for us every single day, and it is not our right to have these things. It's not it's not our right to be able to see. It's not our right to be able to speak to each other right now. It's not our right to wake up healthy every single day. It is a gift, and if we start there and we build this yeah. practice, then the moment that something tragic happens, which we should expect to happen in our life, because the way life runs out, it's like the seasons right we know there's going to be a winter and after winter there's a spring and there's a fall and there's a summer and so this is the pattern of our life but when that winter is here we're prepared because we have that foundation of this gratitude practice and i would just remember coming back to to the most difficult challenges of my life and remembering how i overcame them and that absolutely strengthens my my faith and my gratitude in that I can overcome anything and it's just another season of life. Absolutely. Can I share a quick story about oh that? Oh my God, please. The, especially talking about feeling it. So so th- about three weeks after Gabriel had passed, one of the one of the anybody who is a lost somewhere in a plane crash, they'll know one of the worst things about it is the NTSB investigation takes almost two years. And then in the early couple of weeks or so, or a few weeks, they've got to do the autopsy to see, you know, what was in your system. Did you have some sort of, you know, genetic defect, you know, all these different things. And so we had to move on to do our celebration of life service and other things without cremated remains. I don't mean to be morbid, but it was our only option because of the type of wreck he was in, but we didn't even know when we were going to be getting those. So one day it was a Wednesday, you know, just a normal Wednesday we're both at home and the doorbell rings. And so I, my dog, I have a dog too, by the way, <laughs> it didn't phase me at all. I have her out back because she's loving the sun right now and it keeps, keeps her from barking. But when the doorbell rings, that's her cue. She goes nuts. She's admittedly a very poorly trained dog. And so she's going nuts, you know, and, and of course it's, I look out, we have one of those privacy windows and it's a guy in a FedEx uniform. So I just kind of Bailey you know, move, and I step outside, shut the door. So here's a guy in a FedEx uniform and he's got his little device. He's got a package and he's got his little device that we all sign. And, and bef- I, before I go to sign it, I look down and I see the box and the box has what everybody's familiar with, a biohazard sticker on it. Mm-hmm. And in big, bold red letters, it says cremated remains. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even know they were coming. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed that box and I went inside and my wife was there. And of course she asked, oh, what did we get? You know? So we opened it, you know, and pulled out his dust and uh, we wept really hard, really hard. I don't even remember saying anything. I just remember holding each other, you know, and uh, after some moments where we just, you know, gathered our emotion to some degree, she walked into our master bedroom, probably to go into the bathroom to, you know, clean up her eyes or whatever she was doing. And I was left there alone. And, you know, Sherry, it was then, right then that I felt it was my first really major attack, if I could say it that way, that I felt a physical blanket of darkness coming over me. I mean, I literally physically felt it. And it's almost like I could sense that anger, depression, like all these things wanted me bad. 
and were about to take me out. And I felt it. And I just had a lucid moment where I I just realized before, I guess you could say it was too, and not too late that you can never recover from that later, but not too late for me to go down a major spiral. I just knew I couldn't let that happen. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't check out. And so I began to be grateful. Yeah. And I didn't feel grateful at all when I started. As a matter of fact, I really, as I remember it, I kind of mumbled the first things I was grateful for, you know, I was trying to force it, to be honest with you. And then as I did it, this is when that powerful force we're talking about, I, I began to just, first I was just, you know, I was raising my hands and, you know, for me, it's just kind of a, a, a just the way I just defer to God, you know, there's someone higher, there's a higher power than me. And so I was just doing that. And I was like, thank you. Thank you that I had the opportunity to be a dad. Thank you for Gabriel's life. Thank you that he, and it, it started as a mumble, kind of quiet. And then and the words got clear. I got louder, a little more like actual conviction that I meant the words began to kick in. And I just, I was thankful for what I did have, you know, including with him and the time we had. And as I did that, Sherry, and I, and I know you've experienced something similar, so I don't have to convince you. I literally felt that heavy blanket completely lift and it was gone. Mm. And I want to point out to your listeners, I'm not talking about the pain. Right. The pain didn't lift. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like joyful. Right. The pain was still there, but the power of gratitude kept me from going into a really deep pit. Please, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I can resonate with. And thank you so much for for sharing that story and for being so vulnerable. And, you know, I think the question that I always try to avoid, like I know that darkness and I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that when that darkness starts to to just overcome you and it's the darkness of why? Like, why did this happen? Right? Like, why did this happen to me? Like, why? You know, and you just get so angry. And the moment I start to to get that why that's where I remember that I have to now practice gratitude. And that's actually the one question that I, I don't allow to sit in my mm. mind. As soon as I feel that start to come up and there are moments because I agree with you, the pain is always there. And I think we need to make that clear. You never get over that pain. The pain no. is always there, but it gets easier. You, you're able to transition from sitting in that pain to shifting it to the purpose. And the purpose is the answer, right? If I'm yeah. going to ask the question, why? Well, the because is my purpose. And so switching to that space of gratitude of, all right, okay, it, it was just meant to be like all of the other things that happened in my life were just meant to be because yeah. of this. And so it's hard. And, and again, it's, it's definitely something that, that we just have to expect to, to always kind of be there. Because I think so important for people to, who are listening today to know that the pain never becomes comfortable, but we start to become comfortable with that discomfort and start to use that really, like you said, to to funnel that into something that can create yeah. more impact. Be a even catalyst. Right. Absolutely. No, what you just said, oh my gosh, again, that's 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 incredibly powerful. And you know, I, I, I have a question to pose to your listeners, you know, because the why question is the question that everybody has, right? And yeah. I certainly had it early on a couple of different times, but I'm just going to share how I've been able to put that to rest, to rest in my life, because I feel exactly the same as you asking why is a really bad question. And so, and here's why, and here's what I would ask, you know, your, your listeners, what answer is there out there that would make it okay? I can tell you in my situation, there isn't one. There's, there is no answer that would suffice the void of not having my son live a very long life and watching him grow. 
there isn't one. So if there isn't one, why are you letting why cripple you? That's so powerful. You're a beautiful human being. I've loved this conversation so much <laughs> with you. you. We've cried together. We've laughed together. You're just, I feel so incredibly connected to you and your story. And, and I love what you're doing. You're helping so many people. And I think this is such an important conversation. And that's what I love about the podcast, Fall in Love with Fitness. Like we're talking about death and overcoming death and getting back up and reassigning yeah. a different meaning to such a terrible experience. And why is that so important when it comes to fitness? Because yeah. this is where it's at. It's the inner work. It's the inner work that helps us create the outer transformation. And it was hard. I, I When my mom passed, it was hard. It was hard to get myself to do anything. I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. I became so numb, emotionally numb. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't cry. I didn't care about anything. How can I work on my own health and fitness when I'm in that space? And so when I have people on like you who share this powerful message, it's it's so incredibly beautiful and just so impactful. And I feel so grateful that we had this conversation today and that we connected today. Clint, you are so amazing. So maybe we can direct people to where they can go if they wanted to, to connect with you, if they wanted to reach you, ask you questions. Where can they do that? Yeah. Well, th thank you. And I feel totally the same way. You have such a light and a love and an energy about you. And I mean, since we started talking, I'm like, I, and I didn't feel, I felt good before we started, but now I feel like I could go run through a wall. <laughs> you know, so I just oh, really, yeah, I just so appreciate, you know, who you are and what you're doing. And so thank you for, for allowing me to share, you know, how they can connect. Well, you know, I, I really want to connect with people, you know, it's not really my goal just to sell books. So what I would love for them to do is if they go to my website, which is bigboldbrave.us, and for the sticklers, yes, I know it's .us, um, but I believe we don't do anything on this planet, just like this right now. This this yeah. conversation is powerful because we're collaborating, because it's a, a give and take, and it's a share, not because I am so wonderful or you are so wonderful, like together, you know? So it's bigboldbrave.us, and there, it's kind of one-stop shopping. You can get the book. Um, you can, uh, what I'd love for you to do is sign up. For an email, I'm actually going to start an email newsletter at the end of this month. It's only going to be once a week. It's going to be brief, just things that bring you value to your life. I'm not going to flood anybody because I hate that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to be able to keep you in the loop. I've got a podcast that I'm working on as well. Right? And you're you're already on a very short list here. I can tell you that right now. Love of it. people that I want to bring on that are they're living the kind of life that I consider big, bold, brave, which is courageous humans inspiring lives. You made tons of courageous decisions and you're, you're inspiring lives. So that's what I'd love for them to do. But I know you're in Quebec, right? So we've yes. probably got a lot of international listeners. So go to my website and subscribe so I can keep you up to date. But for those who are international to buy the book, you'll want to go to Amazon or one of the other online retailers, wherever books are sold, because your shipping is going to be much easier. <laughs> so do that. Thank you so much, Clint. I love this conversation. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember... You are an inspiration.